Who's the guy cleaning up the streets with a kung fu grip that can't be beat? Sean. This week's movie is out of sight. I'm talking about Black Dynamite. Sean, you can't be doing that. Eminem does it. He's from Detroit. You grew up on a street literally called Country Club Drive. Yeah. That's fair. I'm Sean Hills. And I'm Chris Campa. Time to discuss this bad mamma jamma. This is Circle Takes. Let's, uh, let's get into this. Black Dynamites was a 2009 black exploitation film. Those of you who don't know what a or what black exploitation is, it is technically a portmanteau. Portmanteau. I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> the word, but I do enjoy the word portmanteau. Well, that of, itself uh, is a portmanteau of the words it, port and manteau. Exactly. Um, and it, this one is a is a is a manto port of uh, the words black and exploitation uh, genre that emerged around the 1970s, originally geared towards black audiences. The genre started to transcend audiences and Hollywood soon heard dollar signs. Judging. Um, cue in such classics that I know, Sean, you in particular are. um a heavy fan of this genre. That's not to discount my own interest in it, but I do know just from our friendship um, of your interest in the genre. So yeah. Care to name some of your favorites? One of my, I mean, one of my favorites is I don't mean to offend anyone with the title. This is the title of the movie, the spook who sat by the door. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one that's like still really good. Still holds up. Very satirical. Three the hard way is really good. That influenced Black Dynamite a lot. I'd say I'm a fan of the genre, but I'm not like a a total fanatic. The way like Quentin Tarantino seems to like live his life like he's one of these characters or think he's the next black exploitation director. Yeah, going off of uh what you said there, Sean, you know, <clears throat> it's uh it's a genre in in film that as as the little my little intro indicated transcended all the way you know to hollywood or reached hollywood rather i i remember that um i remember when i have read about the genre and sort of seen it in the video store walking by um how it even reached in the sense of like a trend a fad um, something that everyone is doing. Um, it even reached a Bond film uh, in particular, uh, which I can't name off the top of my head, but we have a computer. We we have the technology. Um, <laughs> yeah, we just got a computer here on the podcast. Uh, just one. We, we mail it back and forth between L.A. and Charleston. Yeah. So this um, this cast is actually... Uh, taking four months to finish. <laughs> um, here we go. It even re- reached the Bond franchise with um, Live and Let Die. Uh, this is uh, the Roger Moore James Bond. Mm-hmm. And we all know how confusing the Bonds of then were. I mean, we had the we had Connery who left, said he was done, and then came back for one more after yeah. a whole nother Bond was there. Um, and that was 1973. 
there was plenty of titles, plenty of um, stars who came out of that genre. What I find interesting is that I don't know if I don't know how many of the filmmakers that were making those and producing those films um, made it out, so to speak, or are still uh, mainstream uh, directors now, filmmakers now. Do you? Not, I mean, not many. I mean, the interesting thing I dug up is Michael Kahn, who has edited most of Steven Spielberg's films, started out editing black exploitation movies. Now, of course, he made it out and became successful, but he's also white, a white man. So mm-hmm. that kind of tells you everything you need to know about why these movies were being made in the first place, because there wasn't uh, a place for them in Hollywood. Black characters weren't really on the screen that much, and they still aren't to a certain degree in mainstream movies. I agree with what you're saying. It's sort of like that era was if there were true gatekeepers of Hollywood and I don't know, these sorcerers and emperors in charge of everything. Yeah. I feel like, these were the in the uh, let's say they were controlling a bunch of marbles. I feel like these were the marbles that slipped out of a hole in the box or they were placed in another special box because they knew they wanted to do something with them. But then they were misplaced and we don't know where they were. Everyone, everything and everyone sort of scattered since it was still a bit of a discovery phase of filmmaking. I mean, hell, to this day, we're still discovering things. But yeah, at that time, it was. Just looking on the outside in, it was special. Um, I can't I can't say that I got too into many of these films. There was a few that stood out at the video store um, that just looked interesting. Uh, I think that what they did is they they absolutely influenced my interest in uh, quote unquote black cinema in many late 80s and 90s films that I absolutely adore. Um, you know, mm-hmm. One, for example, is uh, Dead Presidents. That film uh, is not in any way black exploitation, I would argue, but I can see some inspiration from it in um, uh, characters and style, I think. Um, granted, it had definitely evolved and, and detached by them because I think what, what people, audiences started seeing was well, it was entertaining to see these over-the-top, exaggerated, um, you know, characters and storylines. Um, you know, they like anything. Too much of anything can be a bad thing, or it can be a little tiring. So, don't really know the exact ending of the period or why. Right. I mean, it, there's it kind of you can draw a line from these movies to Spike Lee's movies. You can draw a line like you were saying, dead presidents or, you know, some people kind of refer to that sub genres, hood movies, boys in the hood, Friday, Mm -hmm. that all kind of were some of them were playing with similar archetypes and and characters. I think it's a great transition into our next piece of the show slash this title, because when you said what eventually turned into, you know, quote unquote hood movies, you know, you have your your F. Gary Gray, uh, John Singleton, you know, Hughes Brothers. Those type of filmmakers, they were, I guess you could say unfairly associated with hood movies, but I got to say that the hood movies were really fucking good. Yeah, there was some good stuff in there. Uh, They weren't, uh, you know, hood uh, as a label uh, is unfair, uh, although I I know what you mean, Um, but they I don't want to say that they're unsung heroes. They just um, 
You know, it was an interesting time, too, because everything had a theatrical window, just about, including these movies we just named. Hell, I think the exploitation films had theatrical windows because we didn't have VCRs back then. So, of course, you'd have to go see them. But it was funny how a few of these types of characters, uh, archetypes would would pop up every now and then over time. Um, and I remember this, especially in the 90s and 2000s. Do you remember that movie? I believe Chris Rock was involved in some way, whether he was the star or he wrote it. I never saw it called Pootie Tang. Yeah, I saw Pootie Tang. Yeah. You know the story behind that one? Well, that was written. Pretty sure it's written and directed by Louis C.K. I like that we try to to find the answer mentally because we're, we're testing ourselves first yeah. and then we, then we just say, hey, we got to go to the internet. Testing myself. Yeah. Uh, yep. So Pootie Tang was written and directed by Louis CK. It mm-hmm. started as a sketch that first appeared on the Chris Rock show. Okay. And who's Pootie Tang? Is it Chris Rock? No. Uh, Lance Cruther. Jeez, I was way off. Yeah. But see, I've always associated that way because I remember when that came out. I mean, the title alone, just just nothing really was interesting about it. But am I completely wrong? Does that have anything to do with black exploitation, Sean? Or is it does it have those elements? No, you're right. It has it has those elements. Um, definitely. OK. OK. Well, again, that that just goes to my opinion of or at least how I viewed things at the time of how I didn't see this genre making any sort of a comeback or any sort of um, I don't know. It's not too often referenced. I mean, one could argue, obviously, the biggest the biggest sort of throwback to it was uh, 94 Pulp Fiction and everything that Tarantino did there. But I don't think that it's fair to say that Pulp Fiction is a black exploitation film. Yeah, it's I mean, Jackie it's, Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Django Unchained. I mean, I, I feel like Undercover Brother was pretty popular for a while. That takes a lot of elements. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I remember yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, and oh, well, I guess I guess the genre without any focus to race. So it would be exploitation <laughs> yeah. was the Austin Powers, right? Yeah. I mean, that's. Maybe that's white exploitation. I don't know. Yeah. Um, English exploitation. Yeah, just kind of like tying in those elements. And I wonder how many elements of modern action movies were taken from these original black exploitation movies. Because yeah, it is good. Because there usually is like you know a lot of action, whether it's shootouts, kung fu, whatever. You know. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, it's an, it's an incredible how not real over the top they are. You know, they they don't do silly, stupid things that some comedies would do. They they these things are just a bit exaggerated, uh, but they have a, a, a romantic relationship with the cameraman um, because that's a good thirty five percent of what it takes to make these to uh, to make these shots happen, uh, yeah. make these visuals happen. Right. And everything else is, you know, set design and color palette and um, so much else. Uh, but, I, you know, we're, we're I think we are teasing the rest of our shots here and the rest of our show because I'm, I'm starting to get, you know, so I want to talk about this. I want to talk about that. All right. Um, and I mean, so, we're kind of giving context still. I mean, mm-hmm. we need to we need to jump into the gut reaction. Well, then let me let me cap off my uh, this is the introduction part of it all. Let me cap it off with the last sentence I wrote for my introduction. Um, 
was I think I had said it. I said saw Hollywood soon heard dollar signs, controversial message. They proved to be very successful. And my last sentence was when you pop the top, the panties drop. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the the Pringles tagline? I think it's once you pop, you can't stop. But uh, uh, verbatim, it would be once you pop, you can't, you can't, you can't stop. (laughs) I do like a remix of the video. Yeah. Throwback to the 90s kids who saw Pringles commercials. Jumping into the brief premise, uh, I took a very short stab of it at it. And I would like, uh, if you don't mind, Sean, to piggyback off of me. Sure. Go ahead. Brief premise. Black Dynamite is one of the best, if not the best. Black Dynamite must avenge the death of his brother by the hands of their former employer, the CIA. Yeah, that's that's pretty good sense. Uh, Like you said, it is Black Station. uh, Black Station. I don't know what what that is. (laughs) Like a PlayStation. Black exploitation. It is a black exploitation movie. Um, but it's it's spoofing those movies. So it's got comedy. It's also unlike many other black exploitation spoofs that we mentioned earlier, Undercover Brother, Pootie Tang. It's actually set in the time period those movies were were made in. And it's it's also filmed to look like those movies as well, which kind of makes it unique in this category agreed um something i noticed along the way that i wrote down um our friend likes to often um comment on um uh, on the performance of uh, i don't even know if it would be it would be wrapped up in in the performance but a soundbite that he often likes to throw down is they are they or he or she or it is unapologetically black Mm. And I know what he means. Um, and I appreciate that yeah. uh, in tandem with with him. Like, I appreciate that about the film, although I wish we could actually discuss this one with him, um, which I'm sure in some time we will, uh, because I'd definitely like to get his take on whether or not the, we'll just go with the modern themes of hashtags. If the hashtag unapologetically black completely applies here. You know, I'd be curious to get his take on that. And what I mean by that is my sense before we jump or as we're going to jump into gut reactions, we got one more before that is I'll tease it and say, I feel, I feel that there was some hesitance in this film. Hmm. I just kind of kept feeling that in particular by the, our star writer uh, and performer, Michael J. White, who was great. Love the man. He's the best. Unsung. Yeah actor hero but uh i'll leave that there maybe you can pull that back up are we good with brief premise and can we go into why it's known and not known so as chris said black dynamite came out in 2009 directed by scott sanders written by michael jai white scott sanders and byron Minns, produced by john steingart and jenny weiner steingart starring jai white as black dynamite sally richardson as gloria gray Arsenio Hall as Tasty Freeze, Byron Minns as Bullhorn, Kevin Chapman as O'Leary, and Tommy Davidson 
as cream corn. And I would like to uh, piggyback off of that with some of the other people that stood out that I saw that were very pleasant surprises. Um, uh, I, you know, kudos and, and uh, major props to Tommy Davidson, a very uh, an unsung hero performer that I just adore. He's great. He's not used enough. Um, he can just he can do no wrong. Um, it was great seeing him. It was great seeing him. Um, also, uh, was a, a, a Bokeem Woodbine is in there. Another, uh, favorite of the, well, 90 cinema and yeah. even current cinema as well as, um, I, I never want to mispronounce his name. Um, Oba Baba Tunde. He is a wonderful character actor that you've all seen. I just don't know his name. Hence character actor. He's, uh, Sadly, one of that guy or those guys, uh, but he's great. And I just I love seeing him. He was in this film. Uh, Sean already mentioned Arsenio, which is just a treat. You know, Arsenio's like Pesci takes a 20 year break and then does a film. Yeah, he had done some some voice acting roles in movies, but he hadn't appeared in a live action film since 1989's Harlem Nights. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. And then what a film to appear in. Uh, and let's let's not also forget to mention some very bizarre appearances by the one who surprised me the most was a uh, 1990s R&B sensation. Brian McKnight. Uh huh. When I saw that, I said, what? What? <laughs> Brian? <laughs> I said, Brian, what are you doing? What? who are you and john sally uh athlete john sally i'm like what okay i mean i was here for both of them sure um you know we also uh, another character actor miguel a nunez he was in this great uh, great character actor for a moment i wrote down a few different names that um that had to uh, I had to do double takes because i wasn't sure if they were them and i was going to ask you for example was chiwetel in this um, I don't believe so. I don't no. think so either, but there's a guy that looked just like him. And then was Adam West in this? No. Okay. As I, again, I saw a guy as I was confused. I, I didn't do too much research going into the film rather, um, than after the film. Uh, and I didn't want to like know who the cast was cause it's always nice to get a pleasant surprise. Oh, yeah. I think Adam West would have fit right in though. Yeah. He would have 100%. He's, he's the king of this kind of vibe. Continuing off of the Wikipedia cast list, I know that Sean named um, a good handful of them. Uh, I would like to go in and also name uh, uh, the other standouts like uh, Nicole Ari Parker, uh, McKelty Williamson, like Bubba, Bubba mm-hmm. from from uh, Forrest Gump. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Chicago Wind, Chicago Wind, <laughs> reminded me it reminded me of uh, Kanye West. For a moment, yeah, great um, names too for all these characters. Exactly, uh, and yeah, and that's all I'll add to that. And uh, I'll also also add Abraham Lincoln as himself. I don't know how they reanimated him, but I guess that's a mystery nobody's going to investigate, huh? Yeah. Okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, why it's known? Why it's not known? <clears throat> uh, I'm just, I, I just wrote down that it's it's known by exactly what we saw on the screen <laughs> and it's not known because I didn't hear shit about it. And maybe arguably because 
of Michael J. White. What do you mean by that? Well, not everyone knows who he is. Oh, I see. And when I say something like that, I say it in a in an in a selfish, angry way that um, movie fan nerds like yourself, myself, and in our circle feel like you need to know who this is. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's unfair. It's unfair to to everyone else, but. But, to, you know, to people, I think that there's qualifiers out there who are watching films who could be in our circle, but they just they're just not applying themselves and they're just they're just not, you know, studying and remembering names the way they should. And yeah. they need to know that name, you know, because they probably love the movie. But well, what, what's what's stopping you from doing what we do and opening up a few tabs and just going down some rabbit holes? Yeah, exactly. And well, and I think the industry hasn't helped either. I mean, arguably his his first big role was Spawn. That's right. And his actual face only appears on camera for like two minutes before they. Did you finally see Spawn? Yeah, I watched it in preparation for this. Wow. I mean, his face is only you on saw camera. Spawn? Yeah, I saw Spawn. His face is only on camera it. for like two minutes before this thing goes all over it, you know? You saw Spawn. I'm, I'm excited. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is so cool. I want to talk about both of them. Real quick, real quick. All right. Welcome Thumbs back up. to Spawncast. Thumbs up or down for Spawn? It's bad, but I enjoyed it. I'll put it like that. The bad you can only be referring to as the CGI. Yeah, the CGI is like when he goes down to hell and like, yeah, like, yeah. like the the demon or devil or whatever, mm-hmm. like really does look like PlayStation one graphics. Mm-hmm. The, and they did not try to remaster that or change anything. Take that out, though. Do you like the movie? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I love that fucking movie. Saw that in the theater. Great movie. And it introduced me to Michael J. White, which we will bring right back to this. And I agree. Some of that may have been. Did you say Hollywood? Yeah, the industry. I mean, kind of. uh, I don't know. Doesn't know what to do with him or because that's the thing. He's like, of course, he's a great martial artist. Mm -hmm. But I also think he's got the acting chops, too. Oh, yeah. but. But then they're like, well, we don't want to just cast him in a movie where he doesn't get to fight. And then it's like, oh, but we'll get, uh, you know, more money from our financiers if we hire this actor instead of Michael Jai mm-hmm. White. So it's just kind of a vicious cycle of how do we use him? Like they had a hard time even trying to make a Black Dynamite 2. And then I saw he did Undercover Brother 2. Hold the phone. Is there a Black Dynamite 2? No, there's not. Okay. <laughs> Did not know that. Um, yeah, Sean, I think we're uh, we're definitely in the same uh, band and wagon. This conversation is why one of our shots in our shot list is called non-white casting. Yeah. Um, it's also a gripe that uh, you, myself, and our other friend like to discuss often. Um, but many people want to discuss it, and it's true. It's... Um, it's just, what are you doing, Hollywood? What nope. are you doing, decision makers? Why, what, what? Come on. You know, like uh, Leguizamo as Luigi was good. 
Hoskins is Mario was not. <laughs> you know, like how do you get one right and you gotta fuck up the other? You know, I mean, hashtag uh, uh, Justice League <laughs> or uh, BVS Batman vs Superman. I know. How, how do you screw that up? Captain Lou Albano was right there. Yeah. So yeah, Michael J. White. Um, first of all, like I love him, but why? Why? When in the middle of this conversation, I close my eyes and I think about him. I a only always see Spawn, and B see him at the table in the Dark Knight. Yeah, which was a great you know role for a character actor. I mean, let's face it; he is a bit more of a character actor. He, he can be a leading man. It's just the powers that be haven't you know chosen him for that, or who knows what stories we don't know that that exist behind closed doors. Yep. But I agree with you; he has the chops one hundred percent. He's got uh, the look. He's he's completely unutilized in in so many. I mean, hell, he could have been. Uh, what was Will Smith's character in uh, Suicide Squad? Uh, what's his name? Dead Scope. Yeah, Dead Scope. I don't know. Scope. Yeah. Well, he could have been that <laughs> character. He could have been many different characters in Hollywood. And, you know, again, we don't know the stories. You said something that triggered a thought and it has escaped me. So uh, go on. I don't want to interrupt. Yeah, I think it's known kind of as a cult movie. I mean, it might be they did like an animated uh, cartoon on Adult Swim that might have been better known than than the movie itself. Uh, But that only got like two seasons. So it like came out, had a had a big impact on certain people, but then just kind of has flown under the radar ever since. Right. Uh, and, And I'll say I often will look at the year of release and then ask myself what the fuck I was doing to rather explain why I probably haven't heard of something or seen something. So I'll selfishly say, I, I, I think I had heard of this. I definitely recognized the artwork when I looked, when I looked at it, yeah. I think back to th- 2009, where was I in my personal life? I was trying to get the fuck out of undergrad. I was just trying to get out quick. And I remember to quote a friend of mine that when I went back to school after taking a year and a half off, that I was on a mission, as they said, (laughs) nothing could stop me. And uh, 2009 was a, a pretty tumultuous year. And just the way that a lot of us say now that like, um, Oh, you know, I've been on a, on a gluten free thing. You know, or, you know, I've, I've been I've been trying, uh, uh, I don't know, clear liquors or you know, everyone's like, I've been doing this. Yeah, I'm on the clear liquor diet. <laughs> I didn't what want about to you? Diets. But uh, or, you know, basically people just they get on these kicks, you know, and streaming has overloaded our senses. I mean, we should have clones now so we could tell us to watch seven movies that we just have, don't have the time to do. Yeah. And um, I remember at that time, while I love cinema, you know, movies with all my heart and, and what we're doing right now, I, I do, I just, but there's times where I have to disconnect, not by choice, but by necessity. Sure. And in that disconnection, I miss a slew of classics. For example, one of my top 10 of all time, No Country for Old Men, released 07. I didn't see it for the first time until randomly visiting my uncle in Texas because he had the DVD and he's so casual with stuff and says, oh, hey, check that one. That's a good one. 
That's it. <laughs> and I just, I put it on and I was like, Oh, you know, yep. and that film, same with the social network, but those films came out around that time when I was going through that sort of like deep college, not studies, but just, it was a tough time in my life. Sure. So I think that is truly why I missed this one or why I didn't know too much about it. Um, and then, of course, the Michael J. White factor that we mentioned, while I would have been a, a fan of knowing he was in it, I can tell that they didn't put a lot of marketing dollars behind that, or I would bet my money that they did not. And it just kind of got like, oh, here, there's this, and okay, bye. Yeah, exactly. I think even even the trailer is kind of like leaning into the parody and says that the star of the movie is like a former Baltimore Colts running back or something, you know, kind of to point to uh, Jim Brown picking up acting in black exploitation films. So yeah, it's, it didn't have like a Michael Jai White centric push to it with the marketing. That's for sure. I know this movie and I saw it in 2009 because I would just hang out around the Belcourt theater and go to a lot of movies. Then I saw the trailer, which is a hilarious trailer. And then, you know, decided to go see the movie. Yeah. And the reason the reason you might recognize the poster art is because I had it hanging in my apartment in Chicago and uh, Chris and I lived in the same building. So that's probably <laughs> probably why you were like, huh, this seems familiar. <laughs> uh, I do. I did. I did. I wanted to tie an outside fact, but that is true. Uh, I remember your other one in your room was uh, run pussycat run or faster pussycat faster, right? Faster pussycat kill, 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 kill. Oh God. That's a, that's <laughs> another exploitation, but not black exploitation. Exploitation. Yeah. Care to jump into gut reactions? Yeah. Let's, let's start with yours as the newbie. Okay. So by the way, I think this has been a, a the healthiest intro brief premise, why it's known, not known, and uh, crew cast uh, that we've done. Because usually we jump into the gut reactions. Um, uh, it's hard to hold back from the it's reactions. It's hard to hold back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, it, it, again, to highlight holding back and <clears throat> in an effort to be efficient about our recording here, I wrote down just little keywords to kind of open up my tabs gut reaction. I felt as though this was, um, I could, I could objectively, I couldn't figure out what this was <laughs> and it took, yeah, no, it took a good 35 minutes into the movie. Actually, I know the scene. I know the scene where I said, Oh, we're here. It was when see uh, Black Dynamite's character is also an actor in the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's on a set answering a phone and someone comes up to him. I couldn't tell if the fourth wall was being broken or if he was on a set as a character and someone comes up to him. They're trying to give him something. And he goes like, no, I don't want to take that. And then he gets a phone call. Uh huh. Do you remember that? Yeah. That really confused me because the whole time I thought we were starting in the middle and then we were going to, you know, cut punch back and find out that this man is a, um, an actor and we're just following him around uh, and maybe he's also a bad motherfucker. You were kind of o- overthinking it in the classic Chris camp away. 
Well, a little bit because I didn't. I went in cold. Sure. Uh, I think I maybe read the log line, but that was about it. And and then when I saw the cast list, I said, yeah, I'm here. I mean, Tommy Davidson, I keep pointing out because, you know, he came from In Living Color Success and he is just him, just like Ted Meadows from SNL, have just kind of been hanging around Hollywood. Yeah. And they do things here and there, but they've never really been. They've been leading men in you know, their own attempts or other people's attempts at making them leading men. But regardless, they hold their own. They are strong supporting actors that I love. And it's just always good to see them because it's a friend you just haven't seen in a while, you know, and they should, you should see them more often. Um, So I was there for that. Um, I wrote down that this seems, uh, well, it was obviously a parody, um, but it also seemed like uh, a heavy homage to a few things, but not in a on the nose kind of a way. Mm -hmm. Meaning I could tell that they had their own legs and they weren't, going out of their way to, you know, be like, oh, we're going to do this shot because that's how they always did this shot. So look how we did the shot. Look, what you know, it was, it was organic. Yeah. It was its own thing yes. too. Um, but you could sense the homageness to it. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote down fun, entertaining and sure of itself. <laughs> um, and then I wrote down, I wrote this down, which actually could probably be placed in a different shot. Let me make sure I don't want to give this away. Uh, Yeah, fuck it. I could always just bring it back up. I wrote down performance anachronisms. And what I mean by that Mm -hmm. is this ties into something I said at the beginning. Um, Okay. There was a movie that came out in, I want to say it was 2007 or six. Again, we have the technology. Let's just find out. Yeah. Uh, You have the computer this week. (laughs) Uh, Insert computer clicks. (laughs) I I didn't want to look it up because uh, I think both of us like to test our knowledge, as we said, to do it by memory. Sure. My guess was going to be 06, but I was pretty off. It was 2008. uh, It was a movie called The Express. The Ernie Davis story hmm. starring Rob Brown, Dennis Quaid, Charles S. Dutton, um, Jim Brown is in it and a surprising, um, a surprising, may he rest in peace, young Chadwick Boseman at the very end of the film. Mm. Uh, I love anything about race, especially when it's trying to, <laughs> I don't know if you want to say clean up history, <laughs> uh, you know, or actually exploit how bad something really was. Yeah. Tell the real uh, story. Uh, tell the real yeah, backstory. Yeah. Uh, and it was fun to see. Uh, first of all, it was football. It's about Ernie Davis, the um, black football player on the Cleveland Browns. Great movie. Uh, but I remember seeing the featurette of this, the, the film, the making of, and whoever they were talking to, highlighted something so interesting that stuck with me and I kind of I'm kind of applying it to Black Dynamite. So the film takes place in the I want to say the 50s um, uh-huh. college football season. So so the 60s. So it takes place in the 60s. It takes place in the 60s and it was um, had a, a large black cast with it with some more unsung heroes. And the filmmakers were saying that while the actors they had were great and good you could see the frustration on the on the creator's like face the older creator 
their face saying something. Um, this is out of context. They said something like, but what was the most challenging was even though they live in their own skin, they didn't live the experiences that we were trying to highlight in the 60s. While, of course, they know what racism is like and racial tensions can be like, yeah. they don't know what that particular slice of it was. And then they also attach that to their performances living in that time. To, to quote our friend, there are rhythms and cadences of speech that simply weren't around in anything older yeah. or any period piece. You know, our favorite example of that is modern speak. You and I could be having a conversation. I could do something that pisses you off and or, or anyone off. And the first reaction is they're going to they're going to go seriously. That kind of thing. The, mm. Seriously. Mm -hmm. And it's just very applied to just everything nowadays. Um, and I hate that. I can't stand it because it dates movies. Um, it's not organic. It's not real. It's it's cheap. You hate and, that? Um, Seriously? I hate, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a funny guy. Uh, yeah, I don't like it. And um, not that they did that in the uh, Ernie Davis story, but it was it was something that the filmmaker brought up and I thought it was interesting because he wasn't attacking the performers. He was just saying it was a little challenging trying to get them to understand like how one would act and perform and live life mm. in the sixties at that time, right. not just as a black man, but just as a person, you know? Um, so I went with, uh, performance anachronisms. And then I almost scratched it off because Tommy Davidson came on screen and Tommy Davidson is older. He's not an old man, sure. but you know, when he was at the height of, of his, uh, um, stardom, I guess we could say, or, or maybe lack thereof was, um, in living color. And that was the mid nineties, early to mid nineties. And at the youngest, Tommy could have been 18, but he was likely 25 or something. Um, but if he was, let's say he was 25 in the 90s, the mid 90s, that means that he had a whole decade of experience to at least see these films and know these types of films. Because like yourself and, and me or like ourselves, we have seen many old things and we're familiar with how they are. You know, even yeah. when we were 10, we were watching old stuff. So I think some performers had a bit more um ability or acting flex to be able to perform this type of character. And I think the danger that anyone trying to perform this character would run into mm -hmm. is accidentally falling into what I like to call the Snoop Dogg trap. <laughs> You're gonna have I mean to elaborate. That, yeah. <laughs> what I mean by that is when Snoop was uh if you know the history of rap, you know, Snoop it was death row. Then he went to the South with master P and no limit. And then, uh, that sort of broke off and he became his own free agent. He came back around the two thousands, uh, with Dr. Dre and they still had uh, still DRE. And then Snoop really sort of became his own person. He didn't really need a, a record label or a camp to begin with. And then we just sort of saw Snoop do whatever he wanted to do. And that gave rise to, I don't know if you remember in the two thousands, yeah. Had to be only the 2000s. Snoop was in a. Yeah, it was because 50 Cent had the song P.I.M.P. I'm a motherfucking. P. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Snoop was in the video. They did like 
two different, three different versions of the video. One of them is X-rated, I believe. And Snoop has historically always liked to dress up as a pimp. Maybe not always, but he has. Right. And he would take to his concerts um, a legendary pimp, uh, Don... Don, Don Juan, the magic, magic Don Juan. <laughs> I forget his name, but you look him up on the web and he would always show up to the shows and his pimp with his pimp, uh, chastel, you know, <laughs> and chalice. Um, and chalice. Thank you. Uh, John with the education. <laughs> uh, and he would, you know, he'd be sit there on stage just, you know, just being a pimp, you know, and then that whole thing led into a lot of pimp themed, uh, uh, content that Snoop would be a part of or was a part of. Yeah. And, you know, that, you know, that trends uh, goes, trickles down into society. And then, you know, that Halloween, five guys are pimps for Halloween because of whatever. And it just, you know, it just sort of trickles down. But that pimp dumb or that um, performance in my eyes was, it was compact. It was cheap. It kind of served one purpose yep. and it wasn't, it didn't really tap into um, maybe what a real life on the street pimp of that time would have been. Right. So that's, that's my very long version of this. And I think that uh, performance anachronisms, I just question them and I would, we would need an expert. We would need to talk to someone else who said, you know, no, they got it down. They got it down. So I'll uh, very long winded. I'm going to stop right there, Sean, and I'll, I'll interrupt you in a little bit. No, I think uh, I think that's fair. I think like my my kind of counterpoint to that is, I think part of what this movie is commenting on as a parody is like how absurd uh, these black stereotypes are in the first place. So it's kind of like pushing all those things to the limit. So in a way that does kind of like that does kind of push through the doorway of like, Oh, is this realistic to these actual films or like, is it realistic to the early seventies or the mid seventies? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, it makes me think of that scene in I'm going to get you sucker where the pimp gets out of prison and everyone's just making fun of his clothes. Cause you know, it's not the seventies anymore and he's got goldfish in his platform shoes or whatnot. But there's that kind of give and take between like how authentic are they trying to be versus like how satirical are they trying to be? And it's it's kind of tough to balance. Yeah. Uh, so, OK, so that was your gut reaction overall. Overall, I still loved it, still enjoyed it. And we'll talk about the nostalgia factor later about how kind of uh, my viewpoint has been more informed over the years, because originally I had seen like no black exploitation movies before I saw Black Dynamite. But I still enjoyed it. I still kind of got a sense of where it was coming from mm -hmm. and what these what it was referencing. But it wasn't it wasn't really enhanced until this time around. Mm. Enhanced. That's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so overall uh, gut reactions. Um, I, I, what I didn't cap off or didn't say was that I uh, I did like it. Um, uh, slightly wonky. Uh, I kind of I think I wanted a little bit more in storyline, although the plot was funny and the end, it got better towards the end. Oh, yeah, uh, it got better. It got better towards the end for me. And um, <laughs> some interesting choices. It was it was definitely entertaining and good, although I do wonder if they got lost in paying homage versus telling the story that they wanted to tell. 
you know, like for example, if this was a musical, I would say, I think we got one too many musicals in there, you know? Mm. Um, and I don't know if that's saying one too many homages in there, but yeah, I think the scene I'm thinking about in particular is when Honeybee and the girls started like doing the, 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 the fight and there's a fight scene with them and all the girls, um, in the midpoint. Do you know, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think it's brief, but yeah, that's a reference to, to Dolomite. Yeah, it is brief. Yeah. yeah. All right. Moving on. Here's our shot list. Circle takes or take if you have one. Best quote. Does it hold up? Weird history. How would you reboot this? What would make this better? Who used to be a theater actor? Nostalgia factor. Non-white casting. And then we have our directors and producers corners. Uh, and then we, we end this beautiful episode with questionable questions. Yeah, circle takes. My circle take, the scene where they're uh, eating breakfast all around the chalkboard and they're kind of cracking the code of Code Kansas and uh, figuring out uh, what exactly is going on with this malt liquor. I mean, we go from the candy M&Ms to zodiological astronomy in 785 B.C., and I also love that uh, it kind of puts forth an origin story for Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, a great place <laughs> that I used to live by. Uh, it did, and it does. Uh, I actually have to match you. That's also my circle take is when they're when they're figuring it all out and they're giving each other. Everyone's just getting to participate <laughs> in these lines. Uh, that's the best. That's hilarious. I also wrote down uh, duck scene. Do you remember the duck scene? Uh, where you tell someone to duck? I think that was it. I I don't know. I wrote it down, but I don't remember it off top. It'll probably put come to me later. Um, it see here's something else. It also felt. I think a lot of other shows got or just con- content got inspired by this. Um, I wrote down that it felt kind of. Reno 911-ish. And that comedy is pretty genius. It's very subtle, but it's funny. Right. Um, Like there was a scene where the uh, Black Dynamite (laughs) was talking to some other guy and the whole crew was in there and Dynamite says something and nobody knows like what to say or how to react. And there's just this pregnant pause and then they, okay, they just kind of go with it. Is that kind of comedy that uh, it's funny. It's just really funny. Um, so that's why I wrote the Reno 911 thing. Uh, but yeah, the astrology scene, um, the figuring out everything at the end. And then, uh, I wrote down all the cameos, you know, like, well, cameos of mm-hmm. stars I haven't seen in a while. I wrote those right, down. Definitely. Yeah. Arsenio was a surprise. Yeah. And I, th- I think the, another reason that that scene is so good is that it, it's also, you know, poking fun at how convoluted a lot of the plots of black exploitation movies are. Mm-hmm. I mean, three the hard ways is the government is poisoning the water supply to uh, to take care of the quote unquote black problem. There's all this all this stuff going on. It's, and like you said, it's just a funny scene with good actors, good actors who kind of really uh, succeed in that kind of like sketch comedy type scene. Yeah, agreed. Best quote. All right. I wrote them down. <laughs> Tell me who did it and I'll just leave a puddle. <laughs> that was good. Um, here's my other favorite one. We don't know the whens, but we do know the where's 
and however the fuck the what's. <laughs> I was just, I like that. Uh, and then uh, diabolical dick shrinking motherfuckers. <laughs> yep. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of these lines are kind of tongue twisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my favorite is your knowledge of biological transmogrification is only outmatched <laughs> by your zest for Kung Fu treachery. Jesus. <laughs> I just love uh, I, it. I'd like to, I'd like to add something to circle takes sure. uh, when, when he and Sally Richardson are about to get down for the first time, it jumps, it goes on the bed and then jumps into an animation. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, so all, it's, an an- it's all animated. Yeah. It's animated sex. Yeah. And that was, uh, it was funny. I liked it. It was, it was exaggerated in the right way and the fun way. And that was fun. Yeah. It like fits, it fits the movie perfectly. I'm not sure exactly what it's referencing. <laughs> Because I, I rewatched and watched a lot of uh, black exploitation movies leading up to this episode, but I, none of them had like an animated sequence like that. But it just works. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's referencing uh, it's referencing fun gifts, fun gifts. Yeah, my uh, going back to best quote. Uh, I also mm. really love Jimmy. I am 18 year old black dynamite and you are my kid brother. <laughs> all the all the flashbacks are, are really Really good. Really funny. You know, and I wonder, I wonder if uh, Michael Jai White's comedy, like sometimes I wonder if this was director, if there was any director issues here that could have made this a little punchier or um, could have highlighted the comedy a little bit more because it's got some deadpan to it. Yeah, a lot of deadpan. Yeah. And I think that what they got lost was in their formula of trying to make the right pizza dough. They, um, they kind of just shifted the ingredients around unexpectedly and they got, you know, a lopsided this or a slightly lopsided that, uh, which is fine because it was still tasty. I still would have ate that pizza, but I think you could just tell that there was some, some inconsistencies in, um, in the momentum. That's what I would say, Mm. because that's how I felt. It was, uh, there was moments where it seemed like they found their legs and they were speeding along and then they just kind of slowed down. And then someone said, keep going. And then they, they're like, oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Eh, that's how I felt about it. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot going on and there's there's a lot of layers to it where there are moments where you were saying earlier, like you get a glimpse of he's an actor playing this role and he doesn't seem like an actor who's very happy to be playing this role. Right. But that also kind of like that can take you out a little bit because then you're like. Well, if if he's not enthusiastic about this movie, maybe maybe mm-hmm. I shouldn't be enthusiastic about watching this movie. <laughs> you know, it kind of gives you that sense like, yeah, are you, in or you out? Know, if he's not committed, why should I be committed? Almost exactly. But it also it also kind of like plays through the to the black exploitation genre where mm-hmm. a lot of these actors weren't giving the best performances. A lot of them maybe it was their first performance ever. Maybe it was their last performance ever, too. So that's just kind of there's a lot of things going on at once. And yeah, maybe they lost track of certain things. I don't know. <laughs> Another uh, I'll cap off best quote with uh, with a word I can't say. Um, Chicago Wind, uh, played by McKelty Wilson of uh, Forrest Gump, Bubba fame and Chicago uh, PD fame. 
He's directed quite a few episodes. Mm. Uh, Black Dynamite comes in the door and everyone's just sort of like, you know, scared. Some of them know the legend. They know the lore. They know like what he's capable of. And <laughs> Black Di- or uh, Chicago Wind just like quickly dismisses him after his introductions through the door. And uh, I forget what the exact word was leading up to it, but he calls him super N-word. Mm. And that was just kind of funny because he's like all right, you're all that motherfucker, you know, and yep. he, he says that and it's, it's hilarious. So that's my cap for uh best quote. Okay. Here's my cap. Cause there's just so many good lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black dynamite comes into the room. The council of pimps and says, I'm declaring war on anyone who sells drugs to the community. But black dynamite, I sell drugs to the community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, that was Tommy Davidson who delivered that one. Um, I don't, I don't think it was cream corn. Cedric Yarborough, I yeah, think it was Cedric him. Cedric Yarborough, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate giddy, up. giddy yeah. up. Yep. Does it hold up? Um, I have an interesting answer here. Uh, essentially, yes, I think it does. Um, but something I. Uh, I wrote this down and I had to scratch it because it eventually was answered for me. But sure. Did you, this is obviously rated R. Did you notice that there wasn't any blood up until later in the film? Hmm. I never thought about the blood, to be honest. Yeah. That's a good point. Something I noticed. Um, not sure. Not sure what that was all about. Not that it matters, but it was noticeable, you know, because, you know, we we both come from a time where there was many more rated R films around and in theaters than there are now. Yeah. Not that they're rare. They're, they're making a comeback, but it's just, it's nice to see an R film go all out, just go all the way with it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I just don't remember seeing blood, but, uh, or not much. There was some at the end. Um, I mean, there was over the top, silly, you know, Mortal Kombat type fatalities, you know, right. like uh, his final fight at the end was hilarious uh, with the eyeballs and all that. Um, so it does a hold up. I would say yes. And anyone that you would share it with, this is more of a message to me. I would actually give it a little bit of a preamble or introduction, you know, just to kind of get the viewer ready without giving away too much. But I do think it holds yeah, up. Yeah, maybe, sh- maybe show them the trailer first. Yeah. Because I think the trailer does a good job of kind of setting the tone. Yeah. 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 So probably the shortest does a hold up ever, right? I think so. I, I mean, I think it holds up. Like I said, I watched uh, and rewatched a lot of movies in review leading up to this discussion. Yeah, and I think it holds up. Like, I'm going to get you, sucker. Mm-hmm. It's got some good parts, but I didn't laugh that much watching mm-hmm. it this week. It just, it, yeah. it just doesn't. I mean, the Chris Rock scene with the ribs is hilarious, of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> having your own theme song, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah that's. That's a work of its own, right? But there. like, that's like that stuff was funny, divorced from black exploitation. Like those moments weren't necessarily like pointing at black exploitation. Whereas, like, I feel like the comedy in this is really rooted in black exploitation. So not only does it hold up, I feel like it's maybe the best parody or homage of black exploitation that we have so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably need more. Probably do need that sequel. Probably. Weird history. I mean, I I highlighted one or two things, but if you'd like to take over gladly. Yeah, I mean, being this is probably the most modern released movie we've done so far. 
right? So there isn't like that many things to be unearthed or, you know, like brought up 40 years later or something like that. It was interesting to me that this the idea of this movie started in 2006. Michael Jai White was listening to James Brown's song Super Bad and the concept just kind of came to him. And the movie, the working title actually was Super Bad <laughs> until obviously another movie named Super Bad came out in 2007. So they had to change the title. You know, they really wanted to be true to the form. So they shot it on Super 16 millimeter film. Love that. You know, they... They could have shot it digitally and put in those effects in post or something, but like... Better they didn't. That's commitment, exactly, because you only have so much film in your reel, and whatever take you get, you get. They shot the whole thing in 20 days around L.A. Mostly practical effects. I mean, they did some green screen work, which I'm sure back in the day would have been rear projection when they're driving in the car, that kind of thing, or like the helicopter falling out too. of the helicopter. But it, it, I mean, all that stuff looks intentionally bad and looks very of the period. So I don't, I don't fault them for, for using green screen at all. What else? I think I saw an interview where Michael Jai White was also the interviewer brought up, like, how is this different from, Undercover Brother, Pootie Tang. And that's that's where I heard him talk about, well, this is actually in the time period. And then, as I pointed to earlier, it's it's interesting to me that he took on the Eddie Griffin's part in Undercover Brother in the sequel that came out in 2019. I didn't I didn't have the time to watch that. I just know that it was reviewed very, very poorly, it seems like. Yeah, I skipped that one because um, I I felt like I knew exactly what it was and what they were trying to do. I I love, much love Freddie Griffin, love his stand up, always have. But um, it was a it just seemed like a Hollywood vehicle, you know, with uh, Denise Richards and and him. And it's like, I I feel like I know what this is. Right. And and Dave Chappelle is in it as kind of comedic relief type of thing. I, I before I hand the ball to you. I would be remiss not to mention the review of Black Dynamite by the Christian Movie Guide. Mm. And uh, the review itself is just kind of a a summary of what happens in the movie, but I do want to uh, read out the content warning. (laughs) This movie features very strong pagan worldview mixed (laughs) with a moral desire to get drugs away from kids in a cult comic scene of Abe Lincoln's ghost. It contains at least 44 obscenities, five profanities, six racial slurs, many martial arts fight sequences often played comically, a man's eye graphically gouged out, decapitation, man thrown through wall, paramilitary group fires machine guns and rocket launchers with many explosions. Very strong sexual content includes depicted sex scene of one man with multiple girls at the same time and animated sequence of sex scenes depicted against the Zodiac sign. (laughs) Thank you, Christian movie guy. <laughs> All right. So uh, have you thrown me the ball? So don't show the kids, I guess, mm-hmm. until they're ready. <laughs> don't show the Christian kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, my only research, I knew that you were going to have more of the weird history on this, but my my only research that um, that really uh, stuck out was the use of uh, Super 16 and 
they said they they use Super 16 color reversal codec film stock to get the high contrast and saturated look common in many low budget by exploitations. I think what was nice about doing that in the time they did it, 09, yeah. 12 years ago now, was, um, you know, seeing it on the 4K beautiful screen that I saw it on, that is the equivalent of film grain. And it was just, it was beautiful. Yeah. It was I liked it. I liked how saturated doesn't feel like the right word. Um, cozy. It all felt kind of cozy. Yeah, there's a you know, like you were, yeah. Yeah. You were in the rooms with them and the rooms were small. Um, but I enjoyed that a lot. Another piece for weird history I found is that the costume design for this movie was done by Ruth E. Carter, who did costume design on Malcolm X, Black Panther. So I thought that was really cool. She's kind of had a history working in black cinema, but also cinema that's that's mainstream and has a mainstream impact as well. How would I reboot this? I thought about this for a while because it's kind of a it's kind of a period piece. So at first I was like, it feels unrebootable, like it's already set in a specific time. How would I reboot this? But then I then I thought, well, there are like 800 reboots of Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. So why should that stop me? I don't know. I think if there were a reboot and, you know, we're only like 12 years out from this coming out. I think it'd be interesting to do something where maybe we have a, a woman as the lead. So it's kind of more in the vein of coffee, Foxy Brown, Cleopatra Jones. You can still explore a lot of the black exploitation genre, but just kind of have a, a badass woman taking the lead. Nice. Uh, my turn. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. How would I reboot this? Um, I would, I, I'll jump on that bandwagon as well. And maybe this crosses into, it's funny because our, our um, last shot non-white casting uh, would not apply to this one. And we know that the, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't apply, sure. but we can morph that shot into recasting you know yeah. like who who would we who else would we do or we can do what i'm about to do and just tie it into this um so vivica fox was um in well she is an actress but she was uh her hottest thing was um independence day 1996 yep uh played will smith's um opposite and she has she's a good actress but she has uh she has held her career steady, maybe not too many. Um, uh, what do you call them? Hits per se, but uh, she did have a nice little stint on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think that she would be a good female lead uh, at her current age, mm. actually, uh, to to partake in your reboot. Um, my reboot of this now. This is this is a tough one. Are we rebooting Black Dynamite, the 09 film, or are we rebooting the story and genre? That's I mean, usually if if we're talking about how would you reboot this, we're talking about the specific movie the we film. just watched. So, yeah, like that's like you're kind of pointing to. That's where it gets tricky because mm -hmm. we're not just saying, yeah. like, let's make another black exploitation movie. We're saying, mm -hmm. like. It should kind of adapt the storyline from this one. Okay. I guess what I would do is I would, I would, I would do what I maybe had the most either confusion or issue with, and I would change it to where he is an actor. Um, it actually would be kind of interesting to see. It would be a fun little 
dip one toe in or one toe out of the water of same uh you know story in an era but we get to see who the real black dynamite is and black dynamite is his character um you know it's like the whole movie within a movie thing and he uh maybe make it less about avenging his brother because that would have nothing to do with the uh with the plot of this movie in a movie thing it'd be more about how he feels about being exploited, you know, or how he feels about maybe it could turn into a historical piece about yeah. how he wanted to try to direct something himself or, or, you know, change the content of the film um, and whether we could see the the success or the failure of such a initiative. Mm. So uh, it would be kind of fun to see a day in the life of an actor going through that at the time. And then maybe even, I mean, I'm completely changing the film. Yeah, now, now. it's Maybe becoming my get... name is Dolomite, starring <laughs> yeah. Eddie Murphy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, get Pam Greer to go in there and reprise a role in some way, or a Pam Greer esque. Uh, to cap off my, how would I reboot this? I think I would amp up the pursuit a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I feel like in this one, it deviates a bit, and it just. You, you, we get back to it and we're like, oh, that this is what we're trying to do. Uh, I feel like that was a little bit lost. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I would amplify that element. Nice. I think that kind of uh, is a nice segue into what would make this better. What would make this better? Because uh, like you're saying, there's, you know, there's this, the kind of story about getting drugs off the street and cleaning up the community. And that's kind of like one chapter to this film. And that once that's like closed off, there is like some downtime or, uh, there's kind of, uh, what, uh, screenwriting nerds would call a false victory at the midpoint where he's just kind of hanging out and they have the animated sex scene and everything. But yeah, it can, it can feel like kind of a lull in, how much things really are kicked into action right after the uh, the diner scene where they finally figure things out on a chalkboard. That's that's where it really like kicks in, right? Where where it's like nonstop through the end of the movie. Going off of something you just said with the chalkboard scene, I remember in the same chalkboard scene, the owner of the what was it called before Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles? It was it was Donuts and Chili. Ch- <laughs> a donuts and chili <laughs> jesus which was funny because my boy sam one of my best friends uh we we feel as though he invented chicken and donuts mm. we have a picture of him back in 04 enjoying a handful the comedy that was trying to be like displayed portrayed in that scene when the owner discovers chicken and donuts yeah. that style of comedy is heavy with editing and delivery. And this film missed the mark on executing that punch of a scene. It missed it, or it just didn't do it as well as some other films have. I say that because uh, I'm agreeing with, uh, with uh, what you just said about what would make it better uh, or how you started what would make it better. Um, are you done with that? I think I would also uh, say that equality of nudity would make it better yeah yeah because even in a lot of the original black exploitation movies the guys are naked the women are naked everybody's naked 
Here it was it was just the women. Here you could feel as though and they weren't naked that much. You you could feel that they were almost just checking a list. It didn't feel like they really wanted to do that. And I agree with the equity thing on on the nudity. I mean, that should be all around. I saw a movie last night. Uh, but we already for y'all listening, there's a great documentary out there called uh, I think it's called Skin. Uh, and it's a history of the nudity in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And no, it's not a tits and ass uh, video to watch. Like it's it's a legit documentary. He's got uh, Joe Dante in it and, and various other uh, actors, actresses talking about it. It's very, very interesting. You should check it out, Sean. Uh, but I agree. We knew we do need that sort of um, uh, equity of, of sorts. Uh, I think there could there could be artistic justifications for, you know, here or there highlighting on one or two things for one particular performer, but uh, or character rather. But uh, I think it all depends. And that should be round table yeah. rather than maybe probably just one person deciding that. But but benefit of the doubt to them we don't we don't know yeah because i know it's like uh pointing to <laughs> the sexual prowess of of these black exploitation heroes um mm-hmm. but like i said it's not it's not true to how these original films actually portrayed it uh like in sweet sweet backs badass song yeah fucking you, uh, you got you got van peebles whole backside it's all there yeah the uh R.I.P. to his pop. I think his pop just passed, right? No, that was, yeah. well, that was Melvin Van Peebles who starred and directed that. So that is the pop. You're thinking of Mario. Yeah, well, Mario's, yeah, yeah. Mario's, Mario's pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, R.I.P. Melvin. Um, but yeah, I agree. Uh, to, so to pick you, okay, so my, how would, how would uh, you make this better? Yep. Or what would make this better? Uh, I agree with, I like where you, when you mentioned the false start. Uh, or false victory uh, sort of at the midpoint. So something that got a little buried was the, uh, the discovery of, I guess what could be considered the twist of uh, Nixon and, and what he was, you know, how it all sort of like rooted to him. And then even the betrayal with the CIA people. Yeah. So I felt that got a little lost and it'd be kind of nice if we could thread the needle earlier in the film with some sort of maybe not foreshadowing, but some sort of device that at least points us at the direction of maybe not the highest person in politics, but something that sort of I'm, I guess it, it, it also depends on just how informed of a viewer you are. I knew personally tooting the horn. I'll say it when they said uh, when, when they were doing like the, the the joke about what the malt liquor would do to yeah. you. Um, I I got it. Like I I, I had a feeling, uh, you know, what they were trying to do. Um, and 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 actually to comment on your nudity, I mean, we we did get to see a, a pair of tiny nuts. Yeah, we saw <laughs> or, or or a baby dick. Yeah, a tiny <laughs> prosthetic penis. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, so there, there you go. Now, uh, I, again, I would kind of amplify the Nixon subplot right there in this. And it's hilarious. I thought it was really funny. Yeah. Uh, and even the, the performer was great in the fight in the White House. That was that was fucking yeah, awesome. Like Nixon, uh, I like Nixon how- doing Kung Fu. I never thought I'd see that. Mm-hmm. I'm down, though. I'm down. Um so yeah, I would do that. Maybe a little bit more backstory about how he, how uh, Black Dynamite was in the CIA and then wasn't, and then was again. Mm-hmm. Just kind of clearing that up. So yeah, that's uh, 
what would make this better? A little bit of more of that, some nudity parody, and uh, it's more of an editing note, you know, tighten up a few things here and there. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'm not sure like how many of the editing choices were throwbacks or homages to to bad editing. Exactly. There's a lot of camera swings. Right. And, so it's it's um, hard to tell. Yeah. But that's that's one of those yeah. tricky things you're when you're making a spoof movie is like how much do you want to let it stand on its own and and how good of a product do you want it to be by itself versus just like homaging and homaging and parodying and because not everyone's going to get everything. Agreed. Exactly. They, you can, I feel as though you could almost tell it lost, not steam in a bad way, but it lost. Like you, you go in guns blazing, you know, doing this one thing. It's like, we're going to have a lot of this. We're going to have a lot of that. And then it, it did sort of lose a little speed on all that because at the beginning it was, you know, camera swings and these like rapid close-ups and these, you know, these particular types of lines and just all these things. But then what it lost steam into was its own film, who it really wanted to be and what it really wanted to say. And I said, yeah, you know, let's, let's make that less lopsided. So we have that at the beginning. Yeah. But uh, my opinion. Moving on into who used to be a theater actor. Uh, would you like to go rapid fire on this? I'll name them and you say yes or no. And I say yes or no. We can we can try to go rapid fire. I didn't uh, I didn't prep very much. So, uh, oh, well, that's I think that's kind of the whole point is we just kind of we're, we're eyeing. All right. It. Go yeah. ahead. So, Mike, Michael J. White. I don't think so. No, I, I say a smidge, but I don't think so. Um. Arsenio Hall. <laughs> I feel like Arsenio doesn't apply here. I mean, um, does does uh, does stage work? Does that count as theater? Right? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is more for guesses, and this is more like betting. Oh, so we um, don't actually want to find out. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is kind of more like you know, like we you know we're both we both came from theater and what we feel. You know, and and then later after the fact, I, I guess we could look up one or two of them. Um, so this is in no particular order. Uh, Tommy Davidson. All right. So to answer Arsenio Hall, uh, Arsenio Hall performed as a magician on stage when he was a small child. So I'll, I'll give him theater points for that. Theater points. Yeah. Aaron. Tommy Davidson, you said. Yes. I say. uh if any, a smidge, but overall, no. And let's see. Started his career as a stand-up comedian. So, but that's not, uh, when we say theater actor, we mean like acting. I wouldn't say stand-up is theater acting. No, so. no, it's not. And how about Sally Richardson? Um, I feel like she has, I don't know if there was a theatricality to the role, but you know, the role she played here, but I feel like the chops are there somewhere. I don't know. I, I get this, I get this theater vibe, but I, I, I can't put words to it. I don't I, know. I feel like we might, we might be had, <laughs> meaning we might, uh, we don't know. I feel like if they are there, they are root roots and mm. we haven't seen it in a long time. Um, granted what I guess what I'm trying to say is she's been detached from the theater life for a long time and she's just been in, you know, in front of the camera for a while. Right. But I will say that I think, 
I think she also just may be that good where she mm. does have thick theater roots, but we just can't yeah. tell because she's so masterful in front. Right. All right. So here's the verdict. She began her career in the theater. Ding, ding, ding. Mm-hmm. Lost her acting career in the Kumba Workshop Theater in Chicago. Lost her acting career, you said? Launched. Oh, launched. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been an interesting move. <laughs> okay. Oba Babatunde. Uh, I'm is an easy yes for me. Uh, if I'm wrong, it's an easy shock for me. Uh, but I just went ahead and pulled him up. And let's see. He was on The Bold and the Beautiful. Uh, 30 theatrical films. 16 years. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, he started in, in the on the stage. Okay, his, off, off his breakthrough yeah, role was in a touring company of guys and dolls. Yeah, love him. Uh, okay, uh, Buddy Lewis as Gunsmoke. Let's see, Buddy Lewis. It's from Michael Jackson's hometown. Not a lot of info out there. Nope. Well, he's a former member of an improv group, but uh, mm. we don't really mean that by theater acting either. Exactly. But it's a it's a what do you call that? Honorable mention. Honorable mention for sure. Uh, Nicole Ari Parker. So, yes. Uh, Your guess is yes. My guess is yes. My guess is yes as well. And at age 17, she won Best Actress in the state of Maryland's high school theater competition. Boom. All right. Before you look them up. Uh Miguel A. Nunez Jr. I'm going to say I'm going to be a little hesitant, but I'm going to guess yes. Hmm. I'll guess no, just to see what happens. Okay. Let's see here. Yeah, Yeah, not seeing any, not seeing any theater information. No, nothing. Nothing. All right. Well, uh, unless otherwise proven wrong later, then the answer is no. But I think it would have been in the wiki. It just would have. Yeah. Wikipedia doesn't lie ever. <laughs> uh, John Sally is Kotex. Uh, it's a hard no. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say no, but let's let's see. OK. I mean, does uh, does a, a professional basketball game count as a theatrical production? Mm-hmm. You, you do kind of rehearse to a degree. Jeez. It's more it's more improvisational. Oh my, Sean. I'm going to say no. OK. Yeah, I'm saying no. Also, uh, McKelty Williamson at Chicago win. That's an easy yes for me. Yeah. But I have never confirmed yes for if me he too. has done theater. It's just a it's just the, the theater vibe. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Williamson began performing at the age of nine. Well, he started acting in uh, by making TV appearances. So he was on Starsky and Hutch, Hill Street Blues, Miami Vice. Hmm. It definitely didn't start in theater. Yeah, it looks like he just started with with TV. Okay, well, uh, I am a little surprised that we didn't confirm McKelty Williamson. Uh, My guess is still yes. So, Internet, let us know. Next two, last two, Bokeem Woodbine. This is this is a tough one for me because his acting Uh is so special so unique to me like i like him a lot always been a fan i want to say i want to say yes but i'd be surprised wouldn't be surprised if it's a no Mm. Uh, but my but my yes is weak so i I don't know i don't know yet so what do you think Mm, my guess is no 
Okay, let's let's see. He attended the Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School of Music Art and Performing Arts in New York City. So that sounds like theater to me. I mean, a performing arts high school. You're not doing you're not shooting short films back in the back in the 70s or 80s. So at a high school. I agree. Uh, I agree. Jerry's still out then. Uh, And then our last Cedric Yarborough. Uh, I'd say no. I'd also say no. But he's funny. Definitely. Let's see. I got him pulled up. He is also alumnus of the Dudley Riggs Brave New Workshop in Minneapolis. That sounds like theater. That's a uh, sketch and improvisational comedy, comedy theater. Yeah. I count I count that as uh, at least honorable yeah, mention. Sketch. It's theater. And then yeah, uh, he has the, uh, the Reno 911 connection, as you made earlier. Yes, he's hilarious. Uh, and that show is its own. We should just do a pod about that show. How what an what an interesting show. Nostalgia factor. All right. So I saw this movie at the Belcourt Theater in 2009. I had seen the trailer. I thought the trailer was the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure I saw the movie with like a, a packed audience. So there's a lot of laughter. Just a lot of uh, good vibes, good vibrations, as the kids say. <laughs> and then over the years, like I've seen it more. It was on Netflix for a while, so I'd watch it. But I really hadn't gone back to the source and watched the movies it was spoofing in the first place until maybe the past f- five years or so. So, like I said earlier, it, it kind of has enhanced my view of the movie. I think I enjoy it more now that I that I know what I know what they're working with. Maybe it has exposed some flaws in it because I know it's not being like true to everything, true to the vibe. But uh, overall, I don't feel like my my nostalgia has has tainted how I viewed the film this time around. Well, I don't have much of a nostalgia factor on my end, but when thinking about this, this shot, I thought to myself, um, paying attention to the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s are almost clear cut, even cuts on just those eras. Yeah. 2000s, 2010s and what they're calling. Are we in the aughts? Is that what they're calling them? I heard somebody call this the aughts. Uh, I've heard the aughts be 2000 to like 2009 the aughts or the oddies because aught means zero basically so then we were in the teens after that and now of course uh-huh. we're in the 20s again okay well i don't like any of that it's confusing to me so i'll just call them the 2000s sure. and 2010s so putting myself in the oh yeah so those clear-cut um uh, moments between the those decades i mentioned earlier the 2000 cuts um 2000s 10s and 20s are i don't feel as though they're as defined i don't feel as though they're as separated they blend uh, quite heavily but there is more of like a zeitgeist flavor in the air if that makes any mm-hmm. sense and the only thing I can do is put myself in 2009 had I watched this then. And if I put myself in it, then it would have been on the fringe and I don't know how I would have reacted to it. I don't know if I would have had time to enjoy it. 
because it's difficult to put myself back in that time and, and think about what was I even pursuing film wise for entertainment value, you know, like my mind was just in a different place, but had I, but had I seen it, I know it would have been a very unique one-off and it would have been one of the fewest movies I saw that year because I just don't remember seeing too many. I have to look at what came out in 09 and see if I was really at the, um, uh, you know, see how many I've actually missed. It sounds like you didn't Uh, enjoy anything in 2009. (laughs) Yeah, that could be said. Um, it's just one of those I lost think, years, like 2020. Exactly. Lost yeah. years. There you go. Uh, and while we're at it, because we're just we're doing this now, let me just pull up Letterboxd for a moment and see. So looking at the releases of 2009, and this is listed in uh, popularity, I think, uh, sort by, yeah, film popularity. Yeah. Here we go. Maybe Letterbox will sponsor us one day. We had Inglorious Bastards, saw it many years later. Up, saw it many years later. Fantastic Mr. Fox, skipped it. Avatar, saw it with you many years later, aka last year for the first time ever. That went on a fun list uh, that Sean and our friend came up with called uh, famous movies were a shame we've never seen (laughs) or embarrassed to say we haven't seen yet. Uh, 500 days of summer saw that late. Uh, I saw that in the last few years and I liked it. Harry Potter, never seen them. Coraline, never seen it. Zombie land. Keep hearing so much about how it's good, Uh but I'm not interested in it, but I'm down for Woody Harrelson. Uh, The hangover did see that district nine wanted to. Hmm. Watchmen didn't see it. Sherlock Holmes didn't see it. Star Trek 09, probably the only thing I saw in the theater. Wow. Uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine saw that one in the theater. A Serious Man. I wanted to see that. That could be another. That could be a future episode. 2012 saw that in the theater. That was not good. The Blind Side saw that one in the theater. That was good. The Proposal Up in the Air saw that late. Another one that I saw late. So, yeah, I think the theme that we're noticing here is a lot of things that came out in 09. I said, I'm going to watch those in a few years. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Non-white casting. Do we do we want to just dismiss this one this time around or what do you think? Yeah, because I kind of thought about it and I was like, even if we talked about like alternative like race casting or ethnicity. Like if we said like, well, let's talk about what would the Latinx cast be, but then it wouldn't be black exploitation anymore. Like the whole movie changes. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, so wasn't an element. Yeah. It just becomes a, a different kind of exploitation. Then maybe we'll change it to white casting. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say that I, I think it would have been cool to see somebody a little bit better as a performer. While the performer who played Nixon was fine. I don't know him off the bat, but it would have been kind of funny to see just, I don't know, a known figure there that could vibe well with like, um, even though Tommy Davidson wasn't in that final scene, just a comedian that could vibe well. For example, not suggesting Jim Carrey, but like Tommy Davidson and Jim Carrey with the living history or living in living color right. history. You know, they were both in uh, his sequel to Ace Ventura and they off of each yeah. other are hilarious. Right. So it would have been cool to get maybe a, a little bit more known actor with some more comedic chops. Yeah, have, have kind of like a cameo 
not even put Jim mm-hmm. Carrey on the billing, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I understand why they didn't go with a, probably a more name brand actress for the, uh, the first lady who eventually was on the poster holding uh, black dynamite's leg. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. They didn't go with someone else because that character just doesn't have much like that's it. Well, and, and I suspect I, I hadn't seen this like in an interview or anything. I suspect that they kind of wanted to have the viewer be immersed in the world and like not really recognize the characters because you might, you know, there are people who probably had seen Spawn who didn't realize that Michael Jai White was also Black Dynamite with like the hair and makeup and especially with like Tommy Davidson doesn't look like Tommy Davidson because of everything going on that cream corns, wigs and whatnot, you know, I agree. Uh, although well, I recognize him. Right. I like him. But I'm just saying, I wonder if they are like, you know, we want it to be like no name actors. So so that someone could pick this up at the video store and almost think like, oh, this movie is from the 70s and not mm. recognize any of the people. Interesting if that was uh, if that was a approach that they wanted yeah, to take. I don't know. So. So getting into the corners, producer's corner. So. On this film, um, a lot of uh, uh, I'm going to use what I said in the shot earlier known as gut reactions <laughs> for performance anachronisms um, on a film like this. As the years go by, it's more challenging to do period pieces than ever before. One would think it's not because we're closer to the most recent past than we were maybe trying to tell a period piece in 1980 about the 1920s or maybe even something beforehand. And I always think of, I guess, maybe silly things that no one else would think of or no one's thinking of, but to me, they're challenges. For example, if I'm shooting a, uh, a a shot in a neighborhood in in any city USA and and it's uh, historical uh let's take Cabrini Green uh, neighborhood in Chicago for for example yeah. notorious historical housing complex that doesn't exist uh well technically there is a piece that exists I don't know about to this day in 2021 but when we were living there uh, there was uh, the portion of it called the row houses that are still yeah. around, uh, but the towers are gone and the neighborhood is not what it notoriously was known for back in the day. And if I wanted to tell a story around there, I would want to say, OK, well, what can I use that's still around that's organic and we don't have to fake or invent? Mm-hmm. And that's the row houses. But when I shoot the row houses, what am I going to see very likely right across the street close enough in the frame I'm going to see a fucking cell tower probably, yeah. you know, or I'm going to see a street light that is clearly from the year 2000, whatever, and not from 1972, yep. you know, and only because I've seen interviews and, and, and what we know about filmmaking, do I care so much about protecting those little things? Um, I mean, look, if, if anyone has seen what, uh, Tarantino did to prepare Hollywood for um, what's the one that just once upon out? a time in Hollywood for one yeah to prepare uh, Hollywood Boulevard for what he did with once upon a time in Hollywood 
he went all out. I, I know you saw those featurettes or those yeah. making ofs. Like he bus uh bus benches signage you know uh parking meters all of those things uh should be paid attention to so i get off that soapbox and say i would want to go into this with as much professional knowledge consultation and expertise of people from that era um, and combine that with the collaboration i'd have with Oh, the writer, um, the director, you know what they're trying to get out of it. But I do think about that um, when I think about this film and like, I just say, wow, you know, were they living with the restrictions of that time? Because I think they should, yeah. you know, or I think one, I think one should when they make a period piece. I don't think there should be any, any uh, exceptions to the rule. And if there is, you better have a real good argument for it, like a real good one, you know, even in a, but I'm petty. Maybe, or maybe I'm too petty because if a street light looks more like a gooseneck in, in 1997, right. but in, uh, in 1970, it looked like a gooseneck with a heavy, um, with a heavy fixture underneath. I want the heavy fixture gooseneck, right. you know, <laughs> like, and if, and if I can't have that, I am heavily collaborating with my digital effects artists to do heavy research on what those things look like so that if we have to CG it in there, we CG it right. Well, and I, I think people, I think most people watching movies don't think, don't think about like how much of a pain it is in these period movies to have to contact every house that lives on the block and ask you know, can your house appear in the film and also ask, can we park this vintage car in your driveway and also ask, can you please remove your ring doorbell? Thank you. And like, you know, can we swap out your mailbox? Cause that's not of the period. Like all of these things where the logistics can, can become a nightmare uh, because it's either that or you spend a lot of money on CGI and that will always look a little off too. So it's it's really difficult. Yeah, thank you. You you had me at ring doorbell removal. Sean. <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree. Uh, so that's uh, I mean, essentially, uh, that's my producer's corner really is um, making, you know, this is one of those where I probably pay less attention to the marketing of the film and more attention to the passion of the project, <laughs> which means I would need a co-executive pre- or no, it's what they call in the business. I would be a capital P producer. Mm. <laughs> and then, and then I would get me a uh, executive producer, uh, a good one to make sure this was marketed right to the right audience, to the right, right. people. I, I think that's about it for my producer's corner. I, I do like, uh, any, anything period piece that really attempts to go there because, uh, you know, I, I always kind of give them a scorecard to see what they paid attention to and what they didn't. Granted, the exaggerated approach of this genre and this story and this mm-hmm. film was able to take some of those creative liberties. Yeah. They did stay well within the constraints. And I would care to hear like a director's commentary by Michael J. White and just see, you know, see and listen to whether or not there was missed opportunities or things that they wish they had done differently. I'd be curious yeah. about that. But that sums up my producer's corner. Okay. Excellent. Director's corner. Uh, step into my office. I want to talk about the art of spoofs. The art of parody, I think it's hard to do. 
And I think when a movie is successful with it, it, they don't always get enough credit. I think it's particularly hard to do a whole movie that's a spoof. I mean, you'll see like shows or cartoons do, you know, a parody, something on Simpsons or South Park might be an episode that's parodying something. But with that, you're just you're just kind of like running with the joke for like 20 to 30 minutes to actually like extend it to 90 minutes, two hours and still have it work and not get tired and, and, and old. I think it's really hard. <laughs> um, so I was thinking about it a lot and I think for a good spoof movie, you need to have three things. One, you need to capture the essence of a pre-existing work or genre. Two, you need to comment on all of that in some way and kind of like build upon it. And three, I think a good spoof, the film needs to stand on its own. Like you need to be able to enjoy it without having seen the original work or seen if you're parodying the genre, seen movies from that genre. I'm pretty sure I saw Spaceballs before I ever saw Star Wars. That's that's just how it happened. Mm hmm. But I was still able to enjoy it. There's not that many people who seem to do this successfully consistently. You know, mm -hmm. there's Mel Brooks, Zucker Abra Abrahams and Zucker, who did Airplane, you know, Hot Shots, Naked Gun. <laughs> God, those are great. Police Academy. It seems like every generation has like a person. And then there's the Wayans. Most recently, who have done a string of spoofs and parodies. Uh, Edgar Wright did like Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. And then there's there's always like a lot of one offs like Galaxy Quest. Really good. Cabin in the Woods. What we do in the shadows. But those like writers and directors haven't made it their whole kind of like filmography just to do spoofs. Kind of like Mel Brooks or or the weigh-ins kind of do. But like I said, you know, you can be sex successful at the box office, but that doesn't mean your spoof holds up. I don't think Robin Hood men in tights. I don't know. I don't hear that many people talking about it. You know, that was great. Like I was saying earlier, I'm going to get you sucker. I don't think it holds up. I don't think it's, I don't know. There's just like something missing to it where it's not really adding something to dis the discussion. It's not commenting on things in the way that like Galaxy Quest is kind of like commenting on the actors of a big property and their connection to the work and also like the fan bases, sometimes like really crazy connection to the work because you have like different characters in that movie who who hate being associated with the original TV show and, you know, it really pokes fun at Shatner and, and all those folks mm -hmm. just to kind of sum everything up. I, I feel like this movie does hit those three points. And I was curious if there are spoof movies that you enjoy that you think kind of stand up and, and hold to those three points of, of paying homage, commenting on the original and kind of just like standing on its own. You could watch it and you ha you don't have to see the original material to enjoy it. That's a challenge in two ways. A, thinking of them and B, uh, admitting just how many of them there actually are, uh, i.e. few. I don't, I don't think there may be that yeah. many. Um, and that 
that thought process for me more so applies to dramas um, uh, of, you know, I mean, like we, the easiest one for me to talk about is what JJ did to his Trek and what he paid homage to in the originals. But that's a whole nother Right. And that's not like a spoof played for laughs. Yeah. Yeah. I got to think about that. That's a, that's a challenging question, Sean, because now I really want to give you at least one title and I can't right now. Although one may pop up out of nowhere. It's a tough, I guess, uh, I guess I would call it a form of our parody spoof. Tough medium to work in. Definitely. You mentioned something that triggered uh, something I would like to add to what would make this better. And that is uh, I I would actually probably even change it to what is this missing? (laughs) If if um, Black Dynamite was, you know, a bowl of ingredients. Right. I would like to add a spoonful of broad strokes, the Wayne, the Wayne's brothers. Yeah. And a spoonful of Robert Townsend. Yeah. Robert Townsend's uh, Hollywood Shuffle is is one of the great. Uh, I think it's it's kind of a spoof of a lot of things at once. It's got a lot of vignettes. Meteor Man is is kind of a spoof too. Yeah, don't get me started on that. I don't know. I don't know about a spoof. Is it really a spoof? I love it too much. I mean, you can love a spoof. It's okay to love a spoof. I don't know if it's a spoof. <laughs> I'm getting defensive. <laughs> well that's because it stands on its own like if if that's your first ever superhero you know superhero movie that you see i think it still works as a movie you know it is not my first superhero movie <laughs> uh superheroes yeah. no, no. or a bowl of those <sighs> we should definitely talk about meteor man i've seen that one numerous times actually uh Go got to participate in a Q&A with Robert Townsend and I asked him and talked about Meteor Man. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll talk about that eventually. Uh, OK, are you good on corners or any more? No, I just uh, wanted to note it's, you know, Keenan Ivory Wayans co-wrote Hollywood Shuffle and then went on to do, you know, spoofs himself. But I don't think he was ever as successful again as he was with his writing on Hollywood Shuffle. Hmm. I don't know, because I also I also watched Scary Movie over the past week because I'd never seen those. And I was like, oh. know, I just wanted to <laughs> to trace trace back no, the lineage of spoof and whatnot. And uh, yeah, that's just uh, that was just ugh. hard to watch. Mm. Hard to watch Scary Movie. Mm. Well, at the time when they were released, they were oh, hilarious. Sure, at the time. Uh, Definitely the first one um, there. I, I just, uh, yeah, you're opening a, an interesting door uh, because my, I'll tell you the ones that they don't make like they used to anymore is, are your, uh, your naked guns and your hot shots uh, style of spoof movies. Those, that comedy is just, it's ridiculous. It's over the top and I fucking love it. I'm here for it. But we don't see that. Um, I mean, the Wayans is an evolved version Definitely. of that, uh, which is great. Yeah. But I, um, we don't see enough of it. And I don't know. People, there was they, they made fun of the um, they made fun of that string of movies, that little era of its own with one called Not Another Teen Movie. Um, and I think they even had another one called Not Another Spoof Movie Spoof or something like that. And, you know, I, I saw those 
on the shelf and just kept walking. Yeah. I didn't see them. That's as, that's as far as I saw them. <laughs> but um, no, uh, the Wayans scary movie did uh, a lot for Anna Ferris sure. uh, in that comedy. Yeah. And they, Regina they were Hall. really good at collaborating, get good people together. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I won't open up more of that door right now. Oh, no worries. Yeah. Overall, I think black dynamite is a successful spoof, but uh, in summation, it's just hard to do. It's hard to do and hard to get it right and hard to have it stand the test of time. Scary movie might have been funny then, but it's just kind of a huge eye roll now. Yeah, I still enjoy the dumbness of it. Questionable questions. All right. So this movie is kind of like commenting on the absurdity of racial stereotypes seen in black exploitation movies. It's kind of like pushing it all the way to the logical conclusion type of thing. I briefly saw a piece in my research that was written by a white critic who said that this movie is racist. So my question to you is, is this movie racist? No. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. No. Not against uh, no. black people, Asian people. Oh, right, you want to slice it up? Uh, is it is it racist <laughs> against see. white people? No, no, it's not. No, Mm-mm. no, because it 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 knows it knows what it eats, lives, and breathes. Yeah. It it knows what it is. I mean, the, the it's in the title. Well, it's on the title, but the exploitation. Uh, it's in the genre. It's it's not supposed to be taken seriously. And it, it if you don't know film history, you're not going to understand the homages and what they pay tribute to in terms of like the stereotypes, uh, because that's where it lives. You can't have uh, Black Dynamite 2021. That would be racist, but that would also be very interesting. Right. Yeah. The context is important. Definitely. Right. I'm, I'm talking about him living in 2021. Uh, one hell of that just be interesting. Yeah, that's that kind of becomes uh, then it becomes Demolition Man, where uh, you know he's, he's frozen and then wakes up mm. in the future <laughs> where another classic. Love that movie. He can't eat meat anymore and whatnot. The three three seashells, <laughs> three seashells. Every restaurant is Taco Bell. Yeah, my favorite part of that movie is when so they have a machine on the wall that gives you a reprimand every time you cuss or use foul language. And uh, Sly, uh, our hero, John Spartan, goes up to the machine after kind of rolling his eyes at getting uh, chastised for for cussing. And he goes up to it and he goes to whoever he's talking to. Excuse me one second. And he goes up to the thing and he goes, he goes, uh, it's like, what's wrong? You duck fuck. (laughs) He just starts talking shit to it and just and it spits out these tickets. Uh, But duck fuck was my favorite part. And the reason he does that that is because he learns that they don't have toilet paper anymore. Right. And he doesn't know how to use the three seashells. So he has it spit out a bunch of paper and then he goes back to the bathroom. Get out of here. Is this something that you think? No, this, this is what happens this in the researched? movie. That's what happens in the movie. I know. I, 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 what? I was today years old. Rewatch when I found the this scene. He, where, where, where does he imply that he's taking those tickets to go wipe his ass? He like comes out of the bathroom and is like, says something about uh-huh. toilet paper, three seashells. And they're like, oh, you don't get yeah. the three seashells. Yeah. 
And then he's yeah. like, I'll be right back. And he walks up to the machine and cusses it out and spits out the paper. And then he brings it back and, and leaves the room. Oh, my God. I hope you're right, because I did not know that. And I kind of don't believe you because I don't want to accept that I didn't know that. Rewatch the movie today. So, oh, I'll rewatch it. I already know. I'll rewatch it. Holy shit. That's you heard it here first. Who else was today years old when they found out that that is the reason why he cussed out the machine? Wow. Okay. Back to your question. Uh, no, no, I don't think it, it's racist. And uh, I'm sure that's up for argument. Uh, but, you know, you're starting to talk about, you're talking about, you're bringing a lot of discussion uh, from the, the external real sure. world into this. And one would be doing this, not you in general, uh, or not you specifically. And uh, no, I don't. I just don't. I think any further explanation would just require just more Q and A because I'm I'm a bit. Uh, I don't know. I'm anyone who wants to challenge that would just need to come back to my broad strokes <laughs> answer. But my, my answer is no. I, I don't think so. Well, and that's why it's a questionable question. Because mm-hmm. there is a context. No one's trying to cancel Black Dynamite. Mm-hmm. Maybe after listening to this podcast, there will be a, a mm-hmm. campaign to get the movie erased. I don't yeah. know. Oh, Jesus, it'd be interesting. I'd want to know what else this critic has written more of or what other questions this critic presents. But yeah, basically his his uh, opinion piece is titled, Is Black Dynamite Racist? And then the rest of the piece mm-hmm. is talking about how much he loved the movie. And then he just kind of out of nowhere, the concluding paragraph is, Yes, it's racist. I'm like, what? So short answer. No, I also I also don't think it's necessarily in the hands of the the white viewer to say if it's offensive to black viewers or not, you know, or if it's offensive to to Asian viewers. I have two for you. Uh, Number one, do you think that Black Dynamite's love interest sequence or relationship throughout the film in particular where they're walking around the park do you feel as though there was that maybe the filmmakers wanted to explore or go into the territory of masculinity and being in touch with um, their emotions or emotional side uh, like maybe there was a reluctance for him to want to admit that she had his mm. heart sort of. And he was, he was because I felt as though there was moments of vulnerability where he sort of, you know, the equivalent of like, what do I do with my hands? And he was willing to be vulnerable and open in his heart and actually start talking about those things. It just, it felt like there was a potential open door that suddenly closed from the filmmakers perspective, meaning they just like, we're not going to explore that. Do you think that that dynamite was in touch with his emotions and that maybe that that was true? Maybe the filmmakers were doing that or is that my imagination? Uh, that's something I really haven't thought about before. And it also made me realize that because that's Sally Richardson's character, right? Mm-hmm. It also made me realize that she just kind of disappears in the second half of the movie. 
she's not there integral to the scheme to uncover this plot. She's just kind of gone. So I don't know if they intended to like have an arc of him becoming in touch with his emotions. And I would say they probably didn't because otherwise I feel like she would have been woven into more scenes uh, in the second half of the movie because she just kind of shows up at the very end for his monologue with the first lady in the room. Right. Or no, I'm sorry. I think it was. Is it Sally Richardson? What's the character's name? Gloria Gray. Uh, Oh, yeah, it was. Okay, Yeah, sorry. So, uh, well, who did Nicole Ari Parker play? Mahogany Black. Black. Okay. Yeah, so Gloria Gray is his love interest. And um, yeah, I feel like she's just kind of, she just kind of disappears in the second half of the movie and then shows up at the end. And there's not really, it's not really a through line or an arc to all that in terms of his emotions. You know, what's kind of interesting. I believe you and I saw Dead Presidents together, right? Yep. Yeah. So Lorenz Tate's love interest in that is a very similar character type as um, uh, the character Gloria Gray's love interest yep. here. And she, too, shows up as a moment and she's gone. Right. Because she because she, she she dies. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you haven't seen it too bad. Uh, but. Yeah, I agree. There, there. She was missing. She was a missing element that I and I just that's my question is, do you think that she was supposed to be interwoven a little bit more? I don't think so. And maybe this is one of those meta things where they noticed characters just like disappear in original black exploitation movies. And so they thought, OK, we'll just have her disappear. But like she's, you know, she's like a community organizer. She's part of the movement. Why wouldn't it make sense for her? to be part of the rest of the, the storyline, you know, I don't know. All right. Uh, and then my last question is, well, I know mine, but what would be your, uh, black dynamite esque name, uh, as a, as one of like the, as a, a badass character, what would your badass character be name be? Uh, I'll just tell you mine. Mine is Brown Puma. Mine is white kryptonite. Mm, I like that. <laughs> I like that white kryptonite with a K. Yeah, that's 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 how the real be, kryptonite is spelled. It should be white kryptonite or white spelled W H Y T. Something about it gives a little bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I see. I see people who who just write as uh, people who just write white as Y T. Now, you seen that Y T. Like people on Twitter or on the internet will be talking about white people and they'll say YT people, which at first I'm like, YouTube oh. people? <laughs> what, did, what did YouTube people uh, do this time? What Twitter have the YouTube people done free. to you? And then I'm like, oh, white I people. Tw- yeah, I get it. I agree. White people. I forget Twitter exists sometimes. I, every time I go in there, I have 20 notifications. Um, so I haven't seen it there, but I think I know what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, anyway, okay. So white kryptonite, brown <laughs> puma. Why, why puma, may I ask? Uh, we were, I was talking to a friend about when Black Panther came yeah. out. And that's, you know, Black oh, Panther. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. you know, the Latino version would brown be brown puma. puma. Yeah. Plus, it's kind of cool. Or I could I could go with my rap name from high school, yeah. which was El Latino. 
El Latino. That'd be kind of that'd be kind of cool hearing people be like, "Yo, that's a Latino." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I guess it. I like if it. I were to continue the cat theme, I would be White Cheshire. Hmm. It fits for the seventies. Don't know if I like it, but it fits. Plus, you know, Cheshire Cat starting to like it. A little bit of a little bit of a a wild card. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, okay. Uh, well, all uh, right. Uh, well, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm good. If you're good, this has been Circle Takes. We'll see you on the next one. See you around. <laughs>